Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. This is a very special episode because we have the self-titled fullback fiend himself, Chicago Bears fan and host of the Ball Knowers Podcast, Miller Football, David Miller, as some may know. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I think you about summed it up. That was a beautiful intro. Um, I would like to add, though, it's not self-titled. I was actually the self-titled fullback truther. And then somebody described me in my comments as a fullback fiend. So I kind of adopted that. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you, pretty, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I don't really have much else to add there. Yeah, what can I say? I do my research. Absolutely. So... Last time I had a guest on, it was a Ravens fan. Shout out to Rob Talks Football on TikTok. Yes, sir. He was, you know, like I said, Ravens fan knew all about Baltimore. And he also knew a lot about the rest of the NFL. But I started the episode by talking about the Baltimore Ravens, his favorite team. So I think it's only fair to do the same for you as a Chicago fan. I want to start, go right into it and talk about their quarterback who's going into his second year. How do you think Fields did in that rookie year? Do you think he overperformed expectations? Do you think he underperformed expectations? I'd like to hear. I mean, I don't think you can look at what Fields did last year and be anything other than disappointed with how the season went, but hopeful for how it looks going forward. Like he, he was in arguably the worst offensive situation in football. I'll say second worst because it doesn't get much worse than what was going on down in Jacksonville. So I'll say arguably the second worst. And um, I mean, he numbers weren't great. You know, it was what just under 2000 yards, seven touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That obviously doesn't look fantastic, but if you sit down and you watch what he was putting together, there were a lot of rough moments, but there were these games here and there, like against Detroit and against Pittsburgh, where you're like, Oh, okay. I can see the vision. I can see kind of what, we're aiming for what the goal is. It's not quite there yet. It needs some development. Like I personally think he was put onto the field way too early, but he didn't really have a choice with Andy Dalton getting hurt. And then he didn't get the luxury of playing out the season because he got hurt and then he got COVID. So he missed like the last five games where we saw a lot of the rookie quarterbacks last year, kind of, you know, take a step like Zach Wilson looked a lot better. Trevor Lawrence looked a lot better. And I think fields would have been in that same boat to where we would be having a different conversation like as a whole across the NFL, because right now there's a lot of doubters with fields and you know, it's, it's, I think disappointing is definitely the best way to put it, but I'm definitely optimistic going forward. No Matt Nagy um, new offense. That's going to be played towards his strengths, things like that. The future looks bright, but I, I just hope we don't see what we saw again last year. I mean, you said it yourself. He does have a lot of haters, and I'm not sure how familiar are you familiar you are with the podcast. I mean, I read your bio. I think that yeah, sums it up. I'm. I mean, yeah, you just said it. I'm not really a big Fields guy, but I will admit, in the in his rookie season, he proved not everything, not even a lot of what I said before the draft, but he proved some of that stuff wrong. I said that he doesn't really have pocket awareness, and that's kind of improving. He doesn't read the field all that well, and he kind of just stares down reads, which you could still see at times, but again, he's improving. But I think the main thing that I noticed in terms of improvement relative to him at 
Ohio State and in college, is he is willing to check the ball down again. He won't just stare down that receiver going down all the way down the field. He will, you know, stare at the receiver for a little bit and then shift down to the running back and check the ball down. There were times where you would see him in Ohio State look at a wide-open run, running back underneath and then just not target him for Lord knows why. Now in the NFL, he's willing to do that, which is definitely a step forward. Yeah, I, part of that, though, when you're in college like that, they're not necessarily teaching you to take the easy reads and whatnot. They want you to get the ball downfield. Most of those offenses are designed just to get the ball downfield. So that wasn't – I know that was a concern with him pre-draft, but I knew once he got into the NFL and the coaches were kind of telling him, like, hey, you know, this isn't college anymore. You're not going to be playing against teams that are, like, 10 leagues below you anymore like you were at Ohio State. You're playing against a team every single week that's competent, so you need to learn to take those easy throws, learn to take those easy reads. And like you said, he did do a lot better with it last year, and I expect a lot more of that this year with the offense coming up because I think we're going to get a lot of uh, you know, bootlegs and things like that where Fields is always going to have somebody in the flat to dump it off to, and things like that really, really help young quarterbacks. So I expect Luke gets you to really utilize things like that. And again, that seems like that's what Luke Getze's offense is supposed to be. You look at what he was doing in Green Bay, and I know he wasn't the offensive coordinator there, but still, he was a part of the offense. That offense was more designed for you to, you know, dump the ball off, be conservative. Now you're expecting him to take a step more towards that approach, and I think that's only natural when that's the offense that they're going to be running. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and... I think that's what's best for Fields right now because, you know, he came into the league and there's this quote that everyone loves to quote where after the first preseason game, he said it felt a lot slower than college or whatever. And then the next game he got popped and it all changed from there. And I definitely think there were times where the game looked a little fast for Fields. So you need to get out these methodical drives where a couple check downs, maybe run the ball. I, I expect a very run heavy offense as well. That's something else I should put out there, but uh, things like that are going to be very good for his confidence, very good for his development. And then once he gets further along, once you have a receiver core around him that you're confident can make plays, once you are confident that he can, you know, get past the whole staring down one guy type situation, then you can start airing it out more. Then you can start playing more aggressive. Then you can start bringing in a little bit of what was going on at Ohio State. But I definitely think taking a more conservative approach conservative approach good lord this season is definitely the way that chicago is going to go and the way they need to go and you mentioned it and this is the elephant in the room with fields and it has been since his career at ohio state his tendency to stare down real reads really does just kill him at times and even in the nfl it's evident so how do you expect him to execute this offense with luke getsey that involves a lot of the mental stuff. How do you expect him to be able to execute it if his biggest weakness is something that you basically need to be a strength in order to execute this offense? Well, Fields is a smart guy. You know, it's, it's not like we're talking about your average quarterback. He scored like the highest. It wasn't the wonder like it was the mental aptitude test. He scored the highest grade that any quarterback has ever scored on it. He's a very, very intelligent quarterback. And now, for la like, I don't want to 
make big assumptions, but last year it almost looked like Matt Nagy was not working with Fields as much as he should. So I would say now that he has a coach that is going to be on him constantly, a coach that's constantly going to be working with him, helping him figure out these things, I think that'll be big for him. Because like I said, he has the ability to learn the stuff. He just needs somebody there that knows how to teach it to him. And I don't think Nagy was that guy, but I'm very, very confident that Getsy will be able to help him figure that out. I mean, hey, Getsy did coach the best of the best, Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not forget about that. Now, was the young Aaron Rodgers? No. So that's kind of where the questions come into place. But still, he worked with Aaron Rodgers, who is, you know, one of the best throwers of the football, one of the smartest quarterbacks mm-hmm. ever. But you mentioned the receiver core earlier, and you mentioned how he's going to need, you know, the players around him to catch the ball. This offense, you really look at the depth chart, and I, I know it's really done to death. And they're NFL athletes, you got to give them credit. But it is impossible for me to look at the supporting cast around fields, whether it's the offensive line, the wide receivers. I don't know how you could possibly say that he has a good enough supporting cast to have a solid sophomore season. Well, at the end of the, first of all, the thing I don't like about the the wide receiver core issues that everyone has is they get mad at the bears for not doing more and they really weren't in a position to do more. Like they didn't have a ton of cap space going into free agency. And that's since changed given the post June 1st cuts and, you know, all the trade settling and things like that. So we have cap space now, but at the start of free agency, we really did not have the money to go out and get a premier receiver, especially when Jacksonville completely screwed the market by giving Christian Kirk an insane amount of money So walking away with Byron Pringle wasn't the worst thing in the world because he had the best season of his career last year. Granted, it was like a 500-yard year, but it was still improvement. He looks like he's on the track to getting better. And then you go into the draft, and yeah, you could have taken George Pickens, but I have my doubts with his character. And you could have taken Sky Moore, which I am a little bit upset that they didn't. But they approached the draft taking two guys that were very high on their board, addressing two massive weaknesses instantly. They go and get a receiver who I know gets clowned for being 25 years old, but it's a guy that Fields and Poles sat down together and watched. And Fields was like, listen, this is a guy I want to be throwing the football to. This is a guy that I trust. And Poles was like, done. You said it. He's he's yours. And on top of that, he adds a lot of run after catchability, which is something that Chicago was like bottom five, bottom three in the league in last year. And people like to forget about how good their running backs are in the receiving game. David Montgomery is a very underrated receiver and Khalil Herbert isn't too shabby either. Cole Komet is somebody I'm expecting big things from this year. So it's not the best receiving room, but I think it's enough to where if Fields is really the guy, if Fields is really going to be great, he should have the ability to elevate those around him. And I think they're good enough to elevate to where we can get an idea of what Fields really is and what he's actually capable of. Now, I don't think he's going to have some crazy like Patrick Mahomes year two, but I think we'll get enough from him with this receiver core to be like, okay, this is our franchise quarterback. We can commit to him. We can build around him. We have over $100 million in cap room next year. We have our first round pick, probably going to be in the top 10. If you really want, you can go out and draft Jackson Smith and the Jigbo, or you can sign a free agent. You can do whatever because you're going to have the ability to do so. Right now, you just need to figure out if 
Fields is that guy. And I do think it's enough to really figure that out. I feel like that's something that uh, a lot of people are kind of over-exaggerating. Now, I do agree. They were not in the best spot in terms of cap space. I, I think that's widely agreed upon by everyone. And they didn't really have that many options because, well, they didn't really have much cap space. But that being said, I feel like at this point in Fields' career, this isn't the point where you're saying he needs to elevate the entire offense around him. He needs to, you know, make Byron Pringle look like a superstar. He needs to make these guys look so much better than they actually are. I feel like it's a bit early to be saying that. I mean, I feel like we just got to the point with Mahomes, who a lot of people consider the best quarterback in the league. I feel like we just got to that point where now we're finally saying, can he make Juju and Sky Moore and MVS look like superstars? Can he? Like, I feel like we're just getting to that point with Mahomes. And now we're saying that Fields should be able to do the same thing with even worse receivers, I feel like. I don't really think that this is giving Fields a fair shot. But then again, the question is, what could they have possibly done better? Now, I agree. They could have approached the drafter differently, which I think they really, really should have. Now, I get that there were other weaknesses on the team. Getting Jaquan Brisker, that was a good pick. Getting Kyler Gordon, that was a good pick. But still, I just think receiver was such a need for them. And well, they just decided to go those other players ahead of him. I don't really understand the decision. Well, you got to think about it this way. This is a first-year GM, right? This is Ryan Pohl's first-year drafting. And he's even said since the draft he wanted to keep things simple. This team had a lot of holes. There were a lot of issues with it. So he just went with the top two guys on his draft board at the time at positions of need. And I feel like something that a lot of people have forgotten about is building your defense helps the quarterback. Whether you want to believe it or not, building your defense will help your quarterback because if your quarterback is trying to put up 30, 40 points a game, it's going to hurt them when they're trying to develop. So if you have, granted, Chicago's defense isn't great right now, but it is marginally better than it would have been had they skipped out on drafting a corner and a safety. So at the very least, they're giving Fields a chance to be like, okay, we're not going to let the other team put up as many points. So you're going to be able to get rhythm throws in these short, quick throws. You don't have to worry about getting it downfield every play. We can establish the run. You can rely on Montgomery. You can rely on Herbert. You can really, you know, or how do I want to put this? You can really diversify the offensive play calling instead of just trying to take a shot downfield every single play. Like, yeah, you could have gotten him George Pickens, but if the other team's putting up 30 points a game, how much of a difference is it really going to make if it's just Fields trying to lob one up to Pickens every single play? It's it's just not going to work. And I'm exaggerating a little bit there, obviously, but my point stands with that. And another thing, too, uh, with, the, with the Mahomes elevating players, I don't think there really should be a question of if Mahomes can. And I think that's a little bit of an unfair comparison considering he has worked with one of the best tight ends and one of the best wide receivers in all of football. So to really... First of all, question if Mahomes can do it is asinine to me. And then to kind of look at it in in the same vein as Fields is also kind of goofy to me because it's two completely different situations. And I don't know. I think, yeah, maybe it is a little early for Fields, but, you know, sometimes just casting a guy into the fire is the best way to bring the best out of him. And on top of that, you've got Getsy who's going to make this offense as fields friendly as possible. So even if the guys there aren't super talented, if they can catch a football and run a route, I'm not 
too concerned about it. Like, I don't, I'm not saying I think Chicago is going to be great or anything, but it'll be good enough to where fields can be something better than he was last year. Now, with the Mahomes part that you just mentioned, I just really want to quickly say I'm not one of the people questioning it. In no, fact, I know. I know. My, I mean, on a... my power rankings, I had the Chiefs as the number one team in all of football. Yeah. Whether or not you agree with that, you don't have to. But there are still people questioning it. And my point was just the fact that people are now questioning it after yeah. years of him being the best quarterback in the league. Uh, yeah, I wasn't but... trying to call you out directly with that. I was more saying in a general sense. Yeah. Uh, and you also said that they're going to try and, you know, simplify the offense in a way that allows, you know, fields to be able to execute despite mm-hmm. the lack of receivers and everything. But I, I feel like the thing with Getsy's offense is, or the thing at least with Getsy's entire situation is they're in a spot where they don't really have much to rely on. The offensive line is a weak unit. They have a good running game. Like that's something I could rely on or at least good running backs. But again, with the offensive line being that weak, can you really rely on the running game as much as you would like to? And then the wide receivers aren't great. Justin Fields is a second-year quarterback. There's just a lot of things that you have to try and, you know, handhold to prevent from being exposed. And that's going to really hold them back from being able to, oh, I need to try and help Justin Fields by making an offense that he could easily execute. But at the same time, I need to make an offense that my wide receivers can still get open in despite the fact they're not overly talented. And then, oh, I also need to help the offensive line at the same time. It just doesn't really seem possible. I don't really understand how Getsy's going to go about doing all that. They don't have anything to build around, and that's my question with the offense. Well, at the end of the day, I think everyone in that building realizes the offense isn't going to be fantastic. So it's not like you're going to be I mean, obviously you want to win football games, but you're not going to be panicking if certain things aren't clicking. And Getsy, the way he's described his offense since coming to Chicago is that it's a a multi-year system where year one, you lay down the basics. Year two, you get into some of the more advanced stuff. So this year is going to kind of be a simplified version of what Getsy actually wants to execute. And yeah, you're right like the talent on the offensive line and in the receiver room definitely is not great, but I do think it's good enough to at least, like I said, give fields the opportunity to prove that there's something there. I'm really not expecting him to take some big leap. Like a lot of people are, and I don't think it'll be a failure if he doesn't, I just want to see him look better than he did last year. And then, like I said, when we have all this cap room and we have the draft picks year three, is when he can really come into his own and really be that guy. And I understand what you're saying about trying to kind of hide all of the weaknesses on offense as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it's just not going to happen. So he's going to have to kind of pick and choose. And I think that to a certain extent, it, it's it's going to be rough, but not so rough to where Chicago is going to be like, I don't know, Fields is going to, be thrown to the wolves and suck again like he was last year. That's the big thing. It just physically cannot be worse than it was last year. There was well, n- you you no would hope can... not with the coaching change and everything. Oh, I can guarantee it won't be. There's there's no way in hell that oh sorry I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. Oh I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Okay, but there is no way in hell that Getsy can put together an offense that was worse than what they were doing last year. And I would argue as well. Justin Fields receivers this year are better than they were last year. And I know that sounds crazy because Robinson was on the team, but you got to remember Robinson was a non-factor for like 80% of the season. 
Like he, he ended up with like 300 yards or something, but he just was not there. So Fields receiver core really consisted of like Mooney and Zamir Bird and Marquise Goodwin and Daz Newsome. And I, I would argue that the receiver core now is at least as good, but I would say better just because I think Pringle is a better football player than Bird and Goodwin. And I definitely think Jones can be better than both of them as well. So I, it physically cannot be worse than it was last year. And that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, you, you mentioned Allen Robinson and I wasn't really planning on talking much about him, but he was held, he was held captive in Chicago. He did not want to stay there. Like the entire franchise tag situation there he was taking plays at half speed because he very clearly did not want to be a Chicago bear last year. It was very clear and whether or not you want to hate him for it. And that's something I would understand if I was a fan. Oh, of I have team, a deep hatred for that man because of it. Yeah. I, and I completely understand that having a wide receiver and having them, you know, get paid a lot of money just for them to take reps at half speed because they don't want to be there. It's a terrible thing. I, I completely agree mm-hmm. with it. And now just watch the dude, like get 800 yards in oh, LA. He's going to ball gonna, out in LA yeah. and it's going to, it's going to stir up another media narrative. That's the whole thing. Alan Robinson. The reason I don't like him, first of all, it's business. Him being franchise tag like that. It's business. It's part of the game. If you don't want to deal with it, get out at the end of the day. I understand it's unfair. I understand he didn't want to be there, but you either take the levy on bell route and you sit out and take a pay cut kind of like he did, or you just play through it and deal with it and maximize your value the next off season. Allen Robinson got paid, what, like $12 million? And Christian Kirk, who was a marginally worse receiver, got paid 18 If Robinson would have just played last year, he'd be one of these guys making $20-plus million a year somewhere. But he screwed himself out of it. And it's just so frustrating that the narrative is now, well, Allen Rob- or, uh, Justin Fields wasted Allen Robinson, and Andy Dalton wasted Allen Robinson, and the Bears wasted Allen Robinson. It's... It's just garbage. I hate these media narratives surrounding this man. Like, yeah, he's never had a great quarterback, but 90% of it is self-inflicted. Now, another media narrative going around at the moment with Chicago is that without their defensive leader, Khalil Mack, how could they possibly be expected to be, you know, that 2018 Bears defense ever again? And, of course, no one's expecting them to be that this year, but – how good exactly is this Chicago defense? I mean, it's, I'll put it this way. It's good enough to where it can be middle of the pack. Like we've seen in the past, Matt Eberflus take worse defenses and they've been ranked 14th, 15th in the league. So I'm definitely calm or Jesus. I'm definitely confident. (laughs) I cannot talk today. I'm definitely confident that this defense will be fine. Like Again, I don't think it can be worse than it was last year because we had Mac for half the year. But outside of that, it was it almost looked lazy. It looked defeated. It was very low effort. And Matt Eberflus, his big thing is high effort, high intensity. You play through every snap or you're sitting on the bench. And when we have guys who were taking plays off last year, common, like it was a common occurrence, I would argue everyone not named Jalen Johnson, Roquan Smith, or Robert Quinn had at least four or five plays a game where they just took off. And it's just not going to happen this year with Eberflus. So I don't think it'll be near as bad as what people think. And I don't even think Mac was the best player on the defense his last two-ish years in Chicago. No, I, I agree. I, I think that 
Khalil Mack is now closer to the point in his career that J.J. Watt is in, where the mm-hmm. pass rusher side of Khalil Mack isn't really there. Now he's more of a dominant run stuffer, but he's not really as good of his pass rusher as you agree. would think because of the name. That being said, though, this Chicago defense, with Matt Eberflus at the helm, let me tell you, I love this guy, Eberflus. And after seeing what he did with currently my favorite player in the league, Darius Leonard, I'm legitimately expecting this guy, Roquan Smith, who was already an elite linebacker last year. I'm expecting him to become the overall premier linebacker in the NFL. I I think he's going to be far and away the best linebacker in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And while he's doing that, I think this entire defense as a whole is going to be amazing. Not, not, not exactly like top five, but I think that it can definitely finish as this top 10, maybe even top eight unit in the NFL. Like I really think that that's a possibility. And the main reason for that is not because of the players that are on it. You look at the defense on paper, you know, there's not many absolutely stunning names, but Matt Eberflus, giving him players like Roquan Smith, like Jalen Johnson. Jaquan Brisker is a player that I like. And mm-hmm. Robert Quinn, a lot of people forgot, he racked up 18 and a half sacks last season. Well, that's assuming he plays for us next year. He's trying to get out right now. Well, I, I again, I just think with a guy like Eberflus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this defense will be a dominant force. Mm-hmm. Relative and- to how bad the offense is, of course. Yeah. And like I said, that helps Justin Fields a lot more than people want to think. If you have a defense that is keeping the other team off the field enough, I mean, granted, we've kind of seen it in Chicago where you have a good defense and a really bad offense and it hurts the defense. But again, that defense was ran by guys who didn't quite have the mentality Eberflus does. So towards the end of games, they were just kind of like, we're done. I'm not doing this anymore. But Eberflus is never going to let that happen. You know, we've already seen in training camp, Jalen Johnson didn't show up to a couple of the OTAs. So Jalen Johnson started out uh, the mini camps with the second team, just as him making an example out of him, which look at that how you will. I personally like it because of how lazy this team has been. He's showing I'm not going to put up with that. It's not going to happen here under me. And that is the biggest thing for Chicago's defense right now. And I definitely think you look at guys like Roquan Smith, who I absolutely agree is going to be one of the best linebackers in football. If he's not already, I would already argue he's up there. Um, Jalen Johnson has top 10 corner potential. Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon are both guys that I'm very confident in. Travis Gibson had like seven sacks last year and has the potential to take a leap and be an even better pass rusher. And he's also a very solid run defender as well. And there's, you know, different athletes on the team, like, uh, Nicholas Morrow, who was playing very solid for the Raiders before he got hurt, and he's very athletic, which is good for Eberflus's defense. And Thomas Graham showed flashes last year. Like there's there's guys there that, like you said, maybe aren't premier names, but there's something to get excited about, something to be on the lookout for. Listen, you said this offense might be average. I think average is the bare minimum. A guy like Eberflus, a great defensive mind like him really just allows your defense to take that next step. Now, I know the last thing you want to talk about is the Packers being good. But last 
I, I want to say last week you posted a video or sometime recently you posted a video both on YouTube and a video on TikTok, a shorter version of that video on YouTube, talking about the Packers and how this might legitimately be the, their year. Your mm-hmm. words, not mine. Yeah. What do you think is preventing them from having another playoff loss that just ends up being super disappointing well, like the past couple of years? First of all, they fixed their special teams. You know, they got rid of whoever was running it. I don't even know the guy's name, but, you know, it was like the worst special teams I have ever seen run. And they got Rich Bizaccia, who is one of the better special teams coordinators in football. And even if he doesn't make it an elite unit, if it's above average, that's all you need. And this defense they have currently assembled is, in my opinion, the best defense Aaron Rodgers has ever worked with. So you think, yeah, the receiver core is a little rough right now, but Aaron Rodgers is the best improviser in NFL history. And if he has a defense that can keep other teams off the field and they can establish the run, let A.J. Dillon do his thing, let uh, Aaron Jones do his thing, Green Bay terrifies me more than they have in a long time right now because that defense is, in my opinion, the best unit in football. It, It is absolutely insane. The talent... You know, they're getting Jair back off injury. Eric Stokes had a big year last year, so they might be the best corner duo in football. Rasul Douglas had a great year last year. Um, their defensive line is great. Yeah, they lost to Darius Smith, but they've still got uh, Rashawn Gary, who, in my opinion, is already a top 10 edge rusher in football. You've got uh, Kenny Clark, who's fantastic. Their linebacker core with Devondre Campbell, who was an all-pro last year. Also adding Quay Walker, who was, I think, my LB3. And they added uh, Devontae Wyatt on the D-line, who I was a fan of, albeit with the -the off-the-field issues. I mean, their defense is terrifying this year, to say the least. So, at first, I was hearing a lot of this buzz about the Packers defense and how it's one of, if not the best unit in the league. And at first, I didn't buy into the hype. But I actually started to look into it. And I realized, these guys are dogs. Mm-hmm. Like Devondre Campbell, I remember I had him on the I, – I did an episode of the podcast, I want to say around February, where I made a team of like the best players in the NFL. Just overall, who's the best? And I made it my all-league selections. And I had Devondre Campbell there. And let me tell you, like I'm going to be completely honest, before I want to say week 10, maybe week 8 – of last year, I didn't know who he was. I, I you, you could have told me that name. I would not have known it. But just later in the year, the guy just popped off the screen as just amazing. Like, they lost Blake Martinez. And Blake Martinez, I think, was a very important player for that defense. Devondre Campbell looked better than Blake Martinez ever had. Yeah, Blake, he blows Blake Martinez out of the water. Blake Martinez is one of the more overrated linebackers I've seen in my lifetime. I, I personally, I can't agree with that. I live in New York, so I see a lot of hype around him. But Martinez is, I, I think in terms of what you expect for Martinez, he's perfect for it. Now, he's not going to pop off the screen as, oh, I'm going to make an amazing play and pick off a quarterback. Well, yeah, yeah he's, he's a solid he, linebacker that does his job. I'll give him credit for that. But people look at his tackle numbers and think he's some elite linebacker, and it just pisses me off to no extent. He definitely does his job. He's not elite, but he's definitely like in the better. He's in like the top 16. Like wherever you consider Logan Wilson, 
He's right near him. I can get, I can get behind that, but he's he's in that tier of yeah. linebacker. Yeah, and but, they do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely get behind that. But there's a lot of people that look at Blake Martin, or at least used to. It's not as much anymore. But back when he was in Green Bay and like his first or first two years in New York, he was looked upon by some people as like a top ten linebacker. And I used to think that was the most asinine thing in the world. And it's just because of his tackle numbers. Well, I think those tackles are a big thing, but whether or not you think that the point is Devondre Campbell, yeah, yeah, very, yeah, absolutely. very good linebacker. And he really just came out of nowhere last year. Right. And you know, this defensive line, Kenny Clark, they did lose a Darius Smith, but Rashawn Gary is a damn good player. too. Mm-hmm. And the secondary is arguably the best unit in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I- like it is. This defense is phenomenal. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But I look at the offense, and I'm expecting the offense to do better than it looks on paper. Yeah. Mainly because of Matt LaFleur. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is still there. But here's the thing with Aaron Rodgers. When it comes to playoffs, I don't know what happens to him. But he all of a sudden feels a need to become the most conservative quarterback known to man. It could be third and eight. He's going to throw a two-yard dump pass. I don't know why that happens. But you, you said, oh, he's the best improviser in NFL history. That is until it's playoffs because then he just all of a sudden becomes, oh, I just need to throw a two-yard pass. We might lose the game, but it's not going to be on me. If right. we lose, it's because of the Packers, not me. And I think that's part of just who he is as a person. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that to a certain and extent. That's really the thing with me. Like I when I look at the top three teams in the NFC and we're going to get to that mm-hmm. later in this episode, I cannot put the Packers there. And that's because I know that they're going to look maybe like the best team in the NFL during the regular season. But once it comes playoffs, there's not a chance in my mind that they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's four teams in the NFC that I think have a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. I. Part of me is, and you know, this is kind of taking a a swing at something, not really having anything to back it up, but you know, you get that gut feeling. And part of me is like Rogers is, you know, he's, he's an asshole, you know, he's, he's very full of himself and he hears all of this circulating, all of this swarming. You can't win without Tay Adams. You're screwed without Tay Adams. And I feel like that's going to light a fire under him and he's just going to go on a tear. And Maybe during the regular season. See, I don't think it'll the happen during way. the regular season. I think the regular season, he's going to struggle a little bit to click early on just with these receivers, and then eventually they'll build up chemistry. And by the time the postseason comes around, he's going to be like, okay, I can't do this conservative stuff anymore. It's not going to win us the game. I've tried it for so long. It's not going to work. Now we need to do something else. And the like, like you said, the only thing holding him back is it's – like a personality thing. It's like his mentality to where he doesn't want to take these big risks because he doesn't want it to be on him. But now he's, I have a feeling he's going to come out balls to the wall and just be like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to win this, or I'm going to put myself out there win or lose. Nobody can say I didn't do my damn best. And that's like I said, just, I know I don't have like factual evidence to back that up, but I got that gut feeling that I'm really, really trusting right now. I don't know. Just personally, I can't think of a reason why it would all of a sudden change now of all times. Well, you know, it might it be his last change. year in Green Bay. 
you know, like I said, just go balls to the wall with it. You've already yeah, proven yourself you know, back to back keep, MVP. He could keep saying it'll be his last year in Green Bay. You know he's coming back the next year. I mean, That's yeah. what he's been doing for yeah. so long now. He signed that extension. I think he's going to stay for the rest of the contract, even if, you know, during week eight, he's going to be like, oh, I might actually leave for real this time. Like, no, he won't. Yeah. But you look at the Packers offense. They lost Luke Getze, who we were just talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. They lost Nathaniel Hackett. That's a big deal. These are two highly praised coaches. And then they lost Tay Adams, mm-hmm. which is obviously everyone knows that's a huge deal. Then Tunyon and Bakatari are coming off injuries. This offense is only going to be worse than last year. And last year, the offense only put up 10 points. In the playoffs, that's why they got knocked out. And, yeah, you could say, oh, oh, the special teams, I don't care. You're the best quarterback of all time. You got to put up more than 10. Or if you really are the best quarterback of all time, you got to put up more than 10 points. And that's why Brady is the best quarterback of all time because he would never put up only 10 points in a playoff game. And, yeah. yeah, you know, he has in the past. I get it. But still, 10 points, inexcusable. That's why he lost. Yeah. And that's why he's going to continue to tear it up in the regular season. But when he's actually against other good football teams, that style of football that he plays isn't going to work. Yeah, I or mean. work enough to win. I can see both arguments for Rodgers right now. Like, personally, I hope you're right. I really do. I want you to be right so badly because I do not want that man to even sniff a Super Bowl trophy. But I don't know. He's it's just hard. I don't know. There's a list of quarterbacks in the NFL that I just refuse to bet against because I've seen them do just insane things. And I'm not saying it's a long list, but Rogers is on that list because I've seen this man mount insane comebacks. I've seen him dominate teams, obviously being a Bears fan. He is our quote unquote owner. His words, not mine. Um, so I don't know. It's just hard for me to ever count out Rogers. Personally. Now, you don't want to count out Rodgers. So, would you consider them, and I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to be sure. Would you consider them a top three team to beat in the NFC? Well. The overall Packers. Doing my team predictions, so to speak, like uh, going through and predicting the schedule and whatnot, I have them ending up as the three seed, I believe, but it depends. It all that to me hinges on Trey Lance and how he plays for the Niners, because I think if, and I'm fully expect him to have a good year, then I would say the Packers would be that fourth team. But if Trey Lance plays poorly and you know, the Niners aren't quite up to par with what I expect, then yeah, I would say they are. So my follow-up question to that is overall what would be the top three teams to beat in the NFC? Now, I don't want you to just go off, oh, what seed do I have them in my right, uh, right, playoff right. I get that. predictor, right? The thing is with that, like you have to factor in strength of schedule for – Right. The team that you have winning the Super Bowl doesn't have to be the best team in the NFL. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. I'm just saying I my point with that was trying to say I have a high expectations for the Packers. I think they're going to be a good football team, but I probably wouldn't put them in that conversation if the Niners are able to pull it together with Trey Lance. Is what I was trying to get at. I'm I I agree. The best team doesn't always win the Super Bowl things like that. 
So you have your best team, or so you have the Packers hinging at three. What would be your two and one? Well, number one, I think the Buccaneers are the best team in the NFC right now. I yeah. think, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Brady's Brady. And even if you have Chris Godwin coming off an ACL tear, and even if you don't have Gronk and they lost, uh, which offensive lineman was it? That, I know they lost Kappa as well, but which was the one that retired? Was it Jensen? Ryan or? Jensen. Okay, yeah. Like their offensive line took some hits, but I really liked Luke Godeke, the rookie they drafted. I'm a fan of his. They added Logan Hall on their defensive line, which was someone I'm not going to lie. I was hoping holding out hope Chicago could get a hold of. They're going to have a healthy secondary. Hopefully their linebackers are fantastic. Um, Leonard Fournette has proven to be a lot better than uh, I, I probably would have given him credit for. Like, I still think the Buccaneers are the best team in football or not the best team in football. Sorry. The best team in the NFC. And then I, I just looked it up to fact check because Lord forbid I say a single thing and it be <laughs> wrong in these 60 podcast episodes. Ali Marpet was the one that retired okay. Ryan Jensen still with the team. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way. I mean, very good is, offensive line yeah. unit. Tristan Wirfs, probably yeah. the best tackle in football other than Trent Williams. I can get so, behind that. Yeah. yeah, and then my other And then that are, defense, too. That yeah. defense is an electric unit. Yeah, and then for the other team, I got to go with the defending Super Bowl champs, the Rams. They l- did lose some pieces uh, Von Miller not being there, obviously, and Andrew Whitworth retiring, but can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. The Note Boom, I Note Bloom, Note Boom, Joseph something. Joseph Note Bloom. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. He was somebody that uh, I, I was looking at. You know, I've he doing... got an extension this year. I yeah, won't, I don't know if it was an extension or no, it was an extension. He got when money. That happened. He got a lot of money. Yeah, I wasn't very sure why for someone that played that very little snaps. You say that he's overly good. I I didn't really know what to think when he got that huge deal. Yeah, I mean, I don't think because it, it was a lot of money for someone that hasn't played many snaps. Yeah, in their career. yeah, I don't think he's a superstar already, but I did like what I saw out of him. Like I did a a, a breakout series on TikTok going through each position. When I was looking at the offensive line, he was somebody that I sat down and watched, and I was impressed with what I saw. And then their defense is still their defense. You've got the best player in football, Aaron Donald. They added Bobby Wagner, who is a little bit washed, in my opinion, but is still a solid football player. I mean, we talked about it. The Blake Martinez, Logan Wilson. Right, right. Exactly. That is important for a team. That's what Bobby Wagner is now. Yeah. And that's I feel like, if anything, you want to talk about overrated for him. Personally, I would say underrated because I hear so many people saying, oh, he's overrated. He's washed. He sucks now. No, he may not be the elite linebacker he used to be, but. In terms of, you know, just someone that can play the inside, run, constantly get tackles, that's his role. And he does that yeah. very well. Yeah, I don't. Even at his age, I consider him underrated, if anything. Did I use the word overrated? I thought I just said he was washed. Maybe I'm wrong because sometimes you, things come you may out of have my said, mouth. You may have not said overrated. Okay, that's yeah. My fault. No, 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 you're fine. I'm just saying sometimes words will come out of my mouth and I forget them two seconds afterwards. No, I don't think he's overrated. I just think he's not quite the linebacker he used to be. But you have a point. He does still serve a purpose in that defense. And, you know, we were looking at the Rams a lot last year with uh, a lot of four by one sets, I think is the word you'd use for it. I don't know. Four down linemen and one linebacker. And uh, 
I, I think he can serve that well if you're going to bring in a bunch of DBs and whatnot, kind of let them take care of coverage. He can be there as your run guy. That's fine. I, I think that's a fine role for him. That's always been the ideology of the Rams defense. Yeah. Like, even when they had Staley, I think that was, like, the huge implement that he made mm-hmm. was, you know, we're just going to rock with a five, six-man box and just have a bunch of corners because yeah. it's a passing league now. Mm-hmm. If teams want to run all this 11 personnel, why don't we run the defensive equivalent of that? Yeah. With a three-three-five or a 4 one Four, what, what would that be? Four one seven, something like that. <laughs> something absolutely <laughs> absurd. Uh, Brett Coleman has a fantastic video about that. Oh, Brett! Brett Coleman is the god of football. He is my so. hero. I he's coming on my podcast within the next couple of weeks. I'm so excited. Um, oh, lucky you. Yeah, he's gonna come on and talk about the Texans. That'll be fun. But um, Ball Knowers podcast available <laughs> on Spotify, in YouTube, and everything else. But uh. I, I yeah the my point is the Rams took some hits they definitely lost some pieces but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to completely shift the type of football team they are now that they have a real quarterback I think they're fine now let's shift over to the AFC what would you say are the three teams that you know if you beat them all of a sudden it's a major upset or all of a sudden this team is severely overrated what do you think those teams are yeah, the AFC, now, of course, there's a lot of teams yeah, that you're going to have to leave it's off. It's so weird to pick. I would say the Bills and the Chiefs are like my two for sure. Because everyone, I, I mean, I think yeah. a lot of people, not me personally, but a lot of people do have the Bills as the most complete roster in football. Uh, I still have my questions a little bit about the interior of their defensive line and their running backs. I mean, I like James Cook, but. He's a role player. Yeah. I honestly think James Cook, for the fantasy football listeners. Do not draft James Cook. I don't care how hype it is, right? This guy had, like, what, seven carries at most in college? This guy is not a three-down player. He'll come that, He'll come on the field on third down, mm-hmm. and maybe he'll get a reception. Right. Maybe. He'll average, like, I swear, he's going to average, like, four points a game. Yeah. Don't draft him. Yeah. But the carry on. Sorry, that's just no, a little no, tangent you're fine. on my you're part. fine. Uh. And I also have my concerns about their linebackers as well. I don't love Edmonds. I, I'm really not a big Edmonds guy. But their offense, we saw it last year. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, one of the best duos in football. Dawson Knox is extremely solid. Their offensive line is still a bit suspect. But it's it's not to the point where I think it's going to be their downfall. You know, we, we saw them last year. Their offensive line held up fine for the most part, except against, like, Jacksonville. But... I definitely think the the Bills are definitely one of the better teams in football. And the Chiefs, I don't have as many concerns with their offense as people might, like we mentioned earlier, talking about can Mahomes elevate those guys. I definitely think he can. And Listen, I th- you pay a quarterback $50 million per year, he better elevate the offense. Yeah, yeah, and I think he will. And you've got uh, MVS, who is like the perfect Mahomes. Like he's... Tyree Kill without all the technical ability, so to speak, where he's just fast and you can run him down the field. Mahomes got his deep threat. Sky Moore was somebody that really impressed me out of what Western Michigan. And um, Justin Ross has apparently been stepping up in training camp. They've no, I'm not surprised by that. I'm when not. He either. went undrafted. I was severely surprised by that. Yeah, and I was severely disappointed that Chicago didn't get him. But I don't blame <laughs> him getting to pick where he goes, wanting to go to the Chiefs. Um, and I, I have. 
I don't want to say high expectations for Juju, but maybe higher than other people do. Because the more I think about it, the more I realize he's going to be like a fantastic short intermediate threat for the Chiefs. And you see a lot of teams playing these kind of two high shells against Mahomes and him kind of shutting down because he can't get the ball downfield. If you have Juju to just take some dump offs here and there, you know, some drag slants, whatever, quick throws. I, I think he's fully capable of that, especially considering he's not going to be like all eyes on him in Kansas City because Kelsey's there. And I'm I not going to lie. I think that this is finally going to be the long awaited Clyde Edwards Hilaire breakout. Uh, I think that's really possible. You want to talk about someone for like, oh, they're playing cover four and, you know, everyone is deep down the field. We need someone to beat that cushion that we're getting. You know, we need an yeah. underneath route. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire will do that very that's well possible. for this team. Yeah, I can see that as well. I, I honestly think Kelsey's going to be their only 1,000-yard receiver. Yeah. And then you'll, we'll see, like, a bunch of, like, 500-yard receivers. I can absolutely get behind that. I absolutely think that'll be the case. Although, I think Juju might come close to 1,000 if they utilize him the way I'm I'm thinking they will. Well, no, I, I like Juju. It's just more of yeah. a question of, do I think that they're going to, like, feed him the ball? No, I don't think yeah, anyone's going to get fair. fed the ball other than Kelsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. Um. And then their defense. I, I don't have any issues with their defense. Their linebacking core. Their, defense, their linebacking core is like a wet dream for me because they got Leo Chanel, who might have been my favorite prospect. I am absolutely enamored with him. And you pair him with Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I'm speechless yeah, no, thinking about how what good they it's could be. do with Leo Chanel. Mm-hmm. Leo Chanel is just such a weapon on defense because mm-hmm. he could do every little thing. Yeah. And that Chiefs defensive unit improved so much over the draft because not only mm-hmm. Chanel, like you said, then they also drafted a cornerback I really like, Trent McDuffie. Yep. Loved him. And then they also got a player that I think was criminally oh, underrated yeah. during Carl the draft. Aftis. Love Carl Aftis. I do as well. I'm a huge Carl Aftis guy. Yeah. I get the I get the concern with the short arms, but I legitimately think other than Ian Hutchinson, best best edge in the draft. I had him. I as get my that that's third. a hot take. I had him. I, as my I, third. I love Carlaftis. Yeah, I only had Hutch and Thibodeau ahead of him. I, I think Carlaftis uh, is going to be a superstar. I really do. And then, like you said, their corners are a lot better now. Legereus Sneed is somebody I'm a fan of, and I think they upgraded at safety with um, Justin Reed. I, I would argue that he's better than Tyree Matthew at this very moment. I, I don't get what is the big deal with the Tyron Matthew hate. I, I don't like I, don't think I, it's I, hate. I, I just Justin don't... Reed is a great player. I, I don't I wouldn't say it's like a I wouldn't say it's an upgrade. Like I, I think it's a good replacement. An upgrade though. I'm not very high on Matthew at this point in his career. I think he's kind of coasting off of name value for the most part. Mm. He just isn't what he once was for me. And you gotta no, you gotta I, realize yeah, yeah. Playing he isn't the position that guy anymore, but yeah. like he's still a. I mean, he's a solid safety. I'm I'd not trying to say, say he's bad. Than Reed, no, no, I don't. I don't think I, I like. I like Justin Reed. I wouldn't say that. Like they both kind of do the same thing. They're they're very yeah, similar players. I, but I, I, still I just think, think Reed does, does it a little better. bit. I think Reed does it a little bit better. I don't think it's enough to where it's like a dramatic upgrade or anything. Yeah. But it's 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 still better. And then they drafted Brian Cook as well, who I'm a fan of. Oh I like yeah, Brian Cook. Too. So. I think the Chiefs defense got better and obviously their receiver core is not what it once was with Tyreek, but like 
you had to do it. You know, you couldn't keep Tyreek around. So I, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs are probably the best team in football, if not the Buccaneers. Now you, you still haven't named that. Number I know, three I know, because I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm stalling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I'll go with the Chargers. I, I, I have the same exact list. Here. Yeah, I same exact list, same order. I have yeah. Chargers three, Bills two, Chiefs one. Yeah, I I love Justin Herbert. He's just such a fun football player to watch. The way the ball leaves his hand is insane because his windup is like kind of slow. And then once he hits a certain point, it just zips. And it's like, how did how does that physically work? How is that possible? And then their receiver core is solid. Their offensive line after adding Zion Johnson, who I think has an argument to be the best player from this past class. That's huge. Austin Eckler's fantastic. Um, tight end they added Gerald Everett he's solid he's an upgrade from what they had and their defense I mean it was fantastic or it was solid last year I don't want to say fantastic the talent on it was fantastic but they were bad against the run so what do you do you go out and get Khalil Mack who like we said earlier is one of the best edge rusher like run defenders in football you add Sebastian Joseph Day who is one of the best interior linemen in all of football and then on top of that, you had J.C. Jackson in your secondary. You're getting healthy Derwin James. Asante Samuel Jr. looked solid last year. I, I mean, there's Chargers would be one of the only teams I look at and don't necessarily see a glaring weakness at this point. I just Listen, don't the, love you, their You coach. said earlier the, uh, the stale. I'm going to have to get on you for a little bit of that Staley hate. Because Go for I'm, a, it. I'm a Staley guy. Okay. I, I, I'm... A lot of people know me like I'm a big Staley defender. Okay. And that is because I think the next generation of offense, right? You look at how offenses have been playing for like the past decade and a half. It's been changing like so many new concepts like the RPO, Mm -hmm. the entire spread offense as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's just been evolving repeatedly. Has the defense really evolved to counter-arc that? Not really. But I think now Staley is final. Now, you could argue, yeah, you know, Gus Bradley, what he did, basically making the cover three a constant defense. That wasn't like a thing mm-hmm. before Gus Bradley did what he did with the 2013 Seahawks. It was, oh, you know, we'll run cover three sometimes when it's like third and long. But it's right. not going to be the bread and butter of our defense. No, Gus Bradley completely changed that. He basically invented the cover three defense. Like right. it was already a thing, but he was the first person to like call it consistently. But the thing that I love about Staley is now we're finally having a coach who does something different on the defensive side of the ball. Finally to counter, you know, the RPOs, the read option, all that stuff. And what does he do? That's so different. He runs this, you know, three, three, five defense yeah. or this dime nickel, whatever you want to call it. Defense. Very often. It's no longer just a third down thing. It's his every down thing. And, you know, that's why the Chargers run defense sucked last year, because that defense, they didn't have they didn't have Aaron Donald anymore. Brandon Staley, when he had Aaron Donald, he was allowed to just do that whenever he Mm -hmm. wanted. But now with Jerry Tillery (laughs) as your nose tackle, it didn't work. It didn't work. But now they brought in Sebastian Joseph Day. Now, he's not quite Aaron Donald, but he could do it. He's one of the best Khalil Mack. in football. And Mack's exactly. The they have Khalil Mack now. You got my point. Joey Bosa's really good. Yeah. Now they're able to run that 3-3-5 defense, and now that defense is going to 
be able to do what Staley wants. Yeah. They're going to be able to do that 3-3-5, that dime look, that nickel look, whenever they want. They could run that on first down, and teams won't just run the ball all over them like they were when Jerry Tillery was the nose tackle. Yeah. I don't... That's why I like Staley a lot, because I it's finally someone do, doing something different yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. I get that. My big gripe against Staley, and it's honestly just a personal preference goofy thing. Like, I don't think he's a bad coach, and I don't think he's going to be like the downfall of the Chargers or anything. I just don't like how analytically driven he is. I, I'm just not a big analytics guy. I can get on board with that, but the thing is, too, and it pains me to say it, not all the time, but sometimes it works. So you can't yeah. get mad at it. You yeah. can't get mad at it. But it doesn't it work enough for me to be like, okay, I understand why he's like that. Like, it, you're right. In some situations, it's going to work, but we've seen it bite them in the ass. And I don't Chiefs think game, that- cough, cough. Right, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But I I think the reason for that in the Chiefs game was because more of like the consensus opinion surrounding the Chiefs. At the time, the Chiefs were a defensive team. And I know that's hard to imagine. Oh, Kansas City, defensive team? Right. But that's not not real. But no, at the time, it was. The Chiefs were a defensive team for one point in the season. They had one of the best defenses in the league. But their offense, for some reason, sucked. Yeah, it just wasn't. But they, they were, they had to feel like, oh, we need to score whenever we get an opportunity. It has to be touchdowns. We're not going right. to beat them just kicking field goals. No, at that point of the season, you could have. And yeah. you know, they tried to go for it on fourth down because they didn't feel like they would be able to beat the Chiefs with field goals. But they would have beat the Chiefs if they kicked those field goals. But at the same time, later in the year, Raiders game, they almost won that exclusively because of what they did on fourth down on a repeated basis. Yeah. But like I said, I just don't trust that consistently to be the case. Like, I think there's a time and place for it, but to completely build your, your offensive game plan and your sort of mentality and approach towards offense around it is a little goofy. In my opinion, I wouldn't say they revolve their entire offense around it. I don't think they're like, Oh, it's third and six. Let's only get let's intentionally only get four yards here, so we can go for it on fourth and two. I don't think they do that. Well, no, no, I don't. Obviously, not to that extreme. But like, if they're in the situation, you know, if this if the situation, I don't think they're actively going out of their way to put themselves into fourth and two. But like, I don't know. He just trusts analytics a little too much for my taste. I think there's a time and place for it, but Staley relies too much on it, and I just don't trust it. I don't know. Initially, I didn't like it much, but I mean, seeing how, at least at times, it works for them, I like it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that work at times that aren't, that don't work I think it works consistently, and I think, Mm. for me, it works consistently, in my opinion. I don't know. Each their own with that, I suppose. Watch I say this, and then, like, this year they lose, like, the AFC Championship because they go for it on the fourth down. (laughs) Wouldn't that be beautiful? Uh, So, second to last topic that I want to talk about. Okay. As a Chicago fan, I think you'll have a really, really unique perspective on this. Do you think Trubisky wins this starting spot? I don't think there's a spot to win. I think it's just his... I don't. Oh, so what, you think it's like yeah, nearly a guarantee? From what I understand, you know, the reports I've seen, Pickett's taken like QB three reps at practice right now, and 
and all the Steelers insiders are looking at this like it's Trubisky's job to lose. And I'm very much against starting rookie quarterbacks early on in their rookie season. But Pickett would Pickett would be like the exception to that. Exactly. I think he's a very NFL ready quarterback. You got your Kenny Pickett's. Yeah. Like, and I'm not comparing the two, but I'm just saying like they're similar in the sense that they're rookies you could put out right away. Yeah. Yeah. But But, I still think that Trubisky is going to be the starter at least at first. I don't know if he'll be able to hold the job, but he'll have it week one. So with with me, it was a weird thing when they drafted Pickett, right? It makes sense uh, to me. I, I, I was live completely. streaming my draft. So I, I was and still am a big Malik Willis guy, not because of what he is now, but because I know what he can be. Right. And, you know, you brought in Mitch Trubisky. If you think he's going to start, why draft the pro-ready guy when you have this and I legitimately think generational ta- generational is the right word. Generational talent in Malik Willis. And in terms of physical talent, I mean that. Yeah. My hot take with Malik Willis is I think in terms of physical talent, he's a top five quarterback in the league in terms of just physical talent and potential. I really do think that. You're a little higher on him than I am. But I do think Willis would have been the better pick for them. I agree with that. Yeah, because what, if you're going to start Trubisky, what's the point yeah, of drafting yeah. the pro-ready guy? And to yeah. me, that's just – I like Mike Tomlin. I don't want it to sound like I don't. But that need to you know constantly have a good season, that need to constantly get the winning record yeah. is what made them draft the pro-ready guy that they know will yeah. always be a starting quarterback. But – they're in the AFC with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Yeah. In order to contend, you're going to need an elite quarterback. And you that's just, just the reality you of don't the have AFC one on the roster. You don't have one means. and you don't have anyone that can be one. Right. They're not expecting to win a Super Bowl now. They're expecting to have 20 straight winning seasons and never make it to the divisional round again. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's what that pick told me. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Pittsburgh fans last night for, for my team preview series. And the consensus seemed to be that they think Tomlin has run his course in the sense that he's a great coach, but they're sick of the mediocrity he's willing to settle for, which has kind of always been my gripe with Tomlin. I used to be very anti Tomlin and I'm not as much now. I, I understand and respect what he is, but his unwillingness to lose at times has bitten them in the ass. And I definitely think this is another example. Like when I said, it didn't surprise me. They took Pickett. I need to rephrase that. It didn't surprise me. They took a quarterback, but Pickett was a bit of a shock. I definitely, like you said, thought Malik Willis was the obvious choice there. And I, part of me feels like they were kicking themselves when they saw Willis start to slip. Cause you know, you're thinking, Oh, we could have taken a corner here. Cause our team is desperate for one and gotten Willis in the second, third round. But I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Trubisky whatsoever. So as much as I love the guy, Mitch Trubisky is one of my favorite football players ever. I just don't think he's good. But if Tomlin, like you said, he really wants to keep up this 20 consecutive winning years or whatever. uh, Pickett, I suppose, was the best pick for that. So they did kind of bite themselves in the ass with that. But again, and you agree, but I just need to restate my point. Like in the AFC in such a quarterback driven league where you so many teams have their quarterback of the future even in their 
So yes. many teams have their quarterback of the future. Yeah. Your quote quarterback of the future will never be a top 10 guy. He isn't capable of being a top 10 quarterback no. in the league. And in order to win a Super Bowl in the AFC, I can't say it enough. You need to have an elite quarterback. Yeah. Because look look at the look at the Bills and Chiefs game in the divisional round. Look at it. Yeah. These quarterbacks were dicing up. The Bills were the best defense in the league at the point. The Patrick Mahomes was dicing up the Bills defense and made it look easy. And it was literally just because he's an insanely good quarterback. If you're not capable of putting up 50 points in a game, you will not win a Super Bowl in the AFC because yeah. you're going to have to go against Josh Allen. You're going to have to go against Patrick Mahomes. This offense under Kenny Pickett will not be able to do that. Yeah. No matter how good the players around him are. And ironically, you look at Pittsburgh and how they're building their team right now. At one point, um, I don't think it's true anymore, but at one point in the offseason, their highest paid offensive player on average was their fullback who doesn't even really play offense. So they have like one, but they have some of the most money in the league put into their defense. So it's sort of like that Pittsburgh team is stuck behind everybody else to where they think they can get away with having a mediocre quarterback if their defense is a top unit, but it's just not going to work. Like again, Pittsburgh talk I was having last night, I kind of joked and said that Tomlin wants to throw it back to like 1982 and run Najee 40 times a game and hope his defense can stop other teams. And like that might work for uh, the regular season. Maybe that can get you to the playoffs, but once you get in the playoffs, you're screwed. Like you said, there's no way if you can't put up 40, 50 points in a game in the playoffs that you can make any sort of noise that you can do anything in there, at least in the AFC right now. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. I mean, and I don't want to sound like a Mike Tomlin hater because the guy is a very good coach. Yeah, His ability to establish a winning culture Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. But I I just have trouble looking at how he's building the team and saying, well, you, you said it best, saying that it's up to date. This way of team building doesn't work mm-hmm. anymore. The things he's looking for in a quarterback, the things he's looking for in a wide receiver, all that stuff just doesn't work anymore. And that's why I'm so happy for them to get a new GM, who I'm pretty sure they made their decision. I can't remember the oh, name Mark of the Khan. guy. It was okay. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> the guy that they brought in, I'm hoping, I don't know much about that guy. I don't either. Tell you the truth. But hopefully he can establish a new, more modern way of team building that will Mm -hmm. allow them to actually compete for more than just a playoff berth. Yeah. But that's just my hope. Now, it would be a mistake for me (laughs) to end this podcast without talking to you about something fullback related. Of course. So tell me this before we end it. Other than these guys that everyone knows, like Kyle Juszczyk, Patrick Ricard, what fullback do you think is the most vital part of his offense? See, that's okay. It's kind of weird to say right now because there was a lot of fullback shifting that happened this offseason. You know, you saw Jakob Johnson go from the Patriots to the Raiders. You saw Alec Ingold go from the Raiders to the Dolphins. Kari Blassingame went from the Titans to the Bears. Um, there, There was a lot of fullback shifting. And because of that, I can't say for sure a guy that is integral, like proven to be. 
that we've seen be an integral part of their offense. Be? But yeah, I have two guys. First of all, Alec Ingold of the Raiders or of the Dolphins. I was going to say me, that because he's going into this Shanahan style offense where the fullback is so integral. And Ingold is an extremely talented football player. I've gone on record saying that I think he is the third best fullback in the league over top of a guy like CJ Ham because he like CJ Ham is a great offensive weapon. But when it comes to blocking, I think he's good, but I think Alec Ingold just exceeds that. And at the end of the day, in today's NFL, the fullback, while it does need to be able to make plays, blocking is still the key. Being able to identify, you know, movement, being able to hit that second level, like we see a lot of that at a use check in San Francisco, and Ingold's going to be used the same exact way. And the importance of having a fullback like that in that type of system is an inexplicably important like Chicago same thing they're going to be running that wide zone Shanahan type offense so they bring in Kari Blassingame who has been blocking for Derrick Henry and uh any you know we're there's a lot of teams that run that type of offense and the only one I can think of that is like refusing to use a fullback ironically is the Bengals with Zach Taylor and I have a deep hatred in my heart for Zach Taylor for that reason because he's running that same type of offense, yet he runs it differently to where the fullback isn't, I don't want to say isn't needed, but isn't used. So it breaks my heart to see it. But the other guy I'm really excited to see is Xander Horvath, who is a rookie out of Purdue. He was a running back at Purdue, and now he's transitioning to fullback for the Chargers. And the reason I'm so excited for that is because he's a very versatile fullback. Obviously, used to play running back. So he's a good runner. He's a good pass catcher. He's a bulky dude and a willing blocker. He doesn't quite have the strength, but he has the quickness to block. So I'm excited to see what he'll be able to do for the chargers. I don't know if he'll quite be as integral for their offense as in gold will be, but I think he'll be an interesting moving piece, especially considering that they already have a fullback with Gabe neighbors. So obviously drafting a fullback means that they have some sort of plan for him. And I'm excited to see what that's going to be. Now I know, already how important the Chargers new fullback will be for that team and let me tell you why the Chargers or at least Austin Eckler specifically struggles in these short yardage situations that's one of the main weaknesses with him you put in I'm hoping I pronounce this right Xander Horvath yep there we go baby (laughs) you put him in front of him to block it becomes a lot easier for Austin Eckler to do these, you know, short yarded situations. You're Even though he's not necessarily right. built for it. He could help the offense a lot in that way. Alec Ingold was the guy that I would have said. I'm kind of annoyed that you said him, but then again, <laughs> it's a no brainer. Right. You, there's nothing else I could really add. You know how Kyle Juszczyk is used by the 49ers, mm-hmm. by Kyle Shanahan. A Kyle Shanahan disciple goes to Miami. The fullback on Miami is going to dominate, obviously. So I, I love that move for them. It's going to, you know, help them in the running game. And we all know how much we love the Shanahan running game. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's also going to help them in terms of how he will be an offensive weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you've got Tua who, you know, we clown on him for his weak arm and whatnot. But having a guy that's always going to be, you know, a consistent receiver in the flat like Ingold is going to be huge for him. You know, obviously these teams are going to be ready to play deep with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. And I, I actually, uh, the other day I did my Packers episode and I was talking to Theo Ash about this. And he brought up 
a great point about fullbacks. The NFL is really transitioning into this too high shell where it's, you know, it's becoming increasingly common. And we're in this passing offense era where everyone's worried about beating you deep. So that leaves the underneath a lot more open, a lot more often when you have these fullbacks who up to this point aren't necessarily respected. This is the perfect opportunity for teams to start utilizing them more and more. Now, obviously teams like San Francisco, it's a little bit different, but like Chicago, for example, or the dolphins, like we just mentioned the chargers, even if you want to put Horvath out in the flat, there's plenty of opportunities to get these guys, the ball now when teams are not committing to the run as often. And when that happens, most of these fullbacks, you know, it's, you don't have your traditional Larry Zonkas and Mike Allstott's of the world, but they're, athletic playmakers that are just able to block. Like I made a joke the other day that fullbacks are just tougher tight ends. And that, I mean, that holds true to the point where if you want to, like I said, you can get them the ball very quickly. And most of these guys are able to make plays. And I think as again, Theo Ash put on my podcast the other day, a fullback storm is brewing in the NFL. And we're about to see a lot more going forward. Now, question here. Is that just wishful thinking, you think? Or? I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think there's definitely – I'm maybe I'm a little bit optimistic about it, but there is definitely a world where that happens. There is definitely a world where, you know, it, it's like I said, it's not going to be your traditional fullback, but you're going to have a guy back there that is playing fullback that is used as more of an offensive weapon for these short yardage situations, especially in the past game. The only thing that really like hurts the usage of the fullback now is just the, you know, development of the spread offense. There isn't really a place for that, but luckily, you know, that's why I'm so happy. And I bet you love him for this. Even if you don't like Greg Roman, he somehow (laughs) found a way to modernize the fullback mm-hmm. usage. He invented a new concept that works in the spread offense that utilizes the fullback yeah. and utilizes him damn well too. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of how the fullback could be modernized because that's really the only modern, you know, new concept that utilizes the fullback. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, the Shanahan offenses start, or maybe not technically Kyle Shanahan's version, but that, wide zone type of scheme that is very heavily in, influenced by him and his dad is very fullback reliant. And it's very much starting to become widespread. Well, part of that is just because everyone who sat in the same room as Shanahan yeah, yeah. for about five minutes becomes a head coach. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's part of it. But it's beautiful. I love every second of it. Kyle Shanahan is my favorite coach of football for that reason. And then Greg Roman is definitely up there as well. Like you said, his modernization of the fullback in a, in a spread offense is just perfection. I love it so much. It's great to see. All right. Anyway, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Um, thank you for I'd having love me. to be on your podcast if you're willing to have me. We'll figure something out. Uh, right now, I'm kind of swamped with these little uh, little team previews. Yeah, but yeah, once we dude, get past I that. I get it. You're busy. Yeah. You somehow found a way to stay busy even in the slowest part of the offseason. I hey, give you a lot hey, of credit for that. You know, you got to do what you got to do, especially when you're trying to grow like I am. You got to do as much as you possibly can. Anyways, if any of you want more content, like he said, Ball Knowers podcast available on, you know, YouTube, Spotify, all the places they listen to this podcast. And of course, if you want more of my content, 
That is No Huddle NFL on TikTok or Instagram. Again, thank you for coming on. Thank you and for I'll having me. I'll see all of you next week.